Welcome, everybody, to episode 131 of the Metabilis 2 podcast, which features David and Dan. And uh, we like to talk about Doctor Who, which is what we're going to do right now. Um, we, have a, we have some big finish stuff to talk about, right? Yeah, we are going all the way back to 2002, January Ooh, of 2002, for Big Finish Main Range release number 28, Invaders from Mars. Dun, dun, dun. Mm-hmm. Mark Gatiss, written and directed. By Mark Gatiss, exactly. Um, I'd not listened to this since it first came out. Wow, so yeah. almost 17 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Um, it was a very interesting listen for me. Yeah? Yeah. Did you remember any of it first of all? I did. I remembered not liking it one bit when <laughs> it first came out. Cause, and, I, I, and I'm trying to remember why. And I think it was because I don't think I was really ready for a comedy, a comedy Doctor Who. Mm, yeah. And this is pretty much a comedy. In it fact, is. it is a comedy. It's, it's one of those, uh, it reminded me most of like a Russell T. Davis season opener, lighthearted story almost a partners in crime yeah level but the the main main thing is uh, charlie was sidelined opposed to like partners in crime where donna played a pivotal role yeah 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 uh, i can also remember not really liking the whole kind of like head boil me you dirty rat <laughs> um the whole kind of like backwards and forwards in kind of gangster dialogue which is lifted right out of 1930s. Oh uh, yeah, no, no, movies, no, no. Which I, 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 is totally doing there. Oh yeah, no, exactly. I know what that is. It, it actually, you kind of have to really concentrate. I have to kind of hard, kind of concentrate to like find out, work out exactly what they're saying to each other. Ah. And um, I mean, I can't really comment on the accuracy of the accents, but you have to. You have to. Well, I mean, obviously, I'm paying attention, but you know, you kind of have to really listen to what's going on, which is probably not a bad thing. But anyway, um, I remember being irritated by that. And um, yeah, but this time round, surprise, surprise, I really, really enjoyed it. I had a great time. I think it is funny mm-hmm. and it is uh, witty yes. and it is silly. And those are all good things. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a joyful uh, portrayal by Paul McGann. And I think he really was in, having a fun time, really enjoying his time as the eighth doctor in this role yeah being being doc doc halliday <laughs> yeah yeah and, and the dialogue i think this is some of gatus's better uh dialogue this is the this is league of gentlemen type funny writing this is gatus's yes. strength yes. i think trying to be a humorous script writer and yeah. it works pretty well with the gags it's uh it reminded me of the doctor who uh, I'm not sure Gatiss wrote this, but I think he did with the the send up of the first production. It was on the DVDs. I think it was came out. Oh on yeah, Web of Caves. Yeah, those ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, Paul Partner, um, who has a major role in this, was in. I think was in the Web of Caves. He's one of the uh, one of the stupid aliens <laughs> in Web of Caves, and he's one of the stupid aliens here as well. Um, as well Typecast. As, being, as well as being a stupid. Um, a stupid American. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, and, and it's, uh, so yes. So, uh, uh, sorry, I, I've got more to say about, about, about the cast, but why don't you carry on with your, um, mm-hmm. whatever you were saying, <laughs> whatever that was. So what I was saying, the dialogue was really sizzling in, in areas. And I think Gatiss really enjoyed writing it. I think the cast for the most part 
got into it. Uh, there's some scene-stealing roles in it. I think uh, Glory B, who is played by... Um, Jessica Stevenson. Yes. Uh, Je- also Jessica Hines. It's the same, same actor. So played by Jessica Hines, a.k.a. Jessica Stevenson, who also played Joan Redfern from Human Nature. Same same actress, but I think she really enjoyed playing the uh, the 1930s mall uh, savvy, sassy kind of broad dame type yep. uh, role. But then as the Russian uh, Soviet agent, I think she really uh, did well. Uh, then Simon Pegg, really a standout, I think for him uh, playing Don Cheney. You know, we know him. From the later in the television series as the editor in Eccleston's the the long game so there's there's these uh these two more television actors and I believe that Peg and Hines were uh, in a sitcom together so they had a kind of a rapport going on there but then also uh the actor who played um Cosmo Divine yeah, uh, I think he was really getting into his role, and I think uh, it was obvious that Gatiss really liked writing. Writing, for yeah, it seemed to <laughs> me that him. that was possibly what the role that Gatiss was going to play if he'd, if he'd, if he'd been in it as well mm-hmm. as directing it and writing it. Yeah, he has just a cameo as a radio announcer. I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought the accents were pretty credible. Uh, I think David Benson, who played Orson Welles, really well. He's and, a very good Orson Welles. And. Big Finish uh, oh, listeners yes. will know him yeah. best as Panda in the Iris Wild Time Adventures. Oh, he's Panda. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah okay. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Um, I think Benson didn't do quite as well when he was playing uh, the Russian professor, Professor Stefafshin, or whatever his name was. Yeah, he sounded a bit like the the fat one out of Lilo and Stitch, <laughs> to be honest to me. Yeah. That's an early 2000s reference for you there. So I think Hines Stevenson really stood out in the early part of it with Glory B. And then towards the end with Putner, as you mentioned, uh, the alien Norium. And then uh, Rigsby, uh, Jonathan Rigsby as Streeth were kind of the uh, dominators, uh, Slitheen-type dominators <laughs> there. were They should have been actual dominators, actually. You think so? <laughs> Almost, because the dominators are kind of stupid, and these aliens were just, like, wonderfully silly aliens. Yeah, so we had yeah. Nori- Norium, who was the conservator. He's kind of like the Rago. And then right. we have uh, uh, Streeth, who, who is the... Uh, uh, Torba, destroy, 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 and their 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 fascination with the genius of the Brooklyn Bridge mm-hmm. kind of made me laugh out loud. It goes from one side <laughs> to the other. <laughs> Alien technology, right? They're certainly scene stealing. Uh, roles or where where they really hammed it up, really camped it up. Uh, Cosmo Devine, uh, John Arthur, who played him, really whatever scene was he he was in, you were fully listening into him. For yeah. for my American ears, listening to 1930s gangster movies, this you wasn't too, rat. it wasn't Sorry. too far off. It wasn't <laughs> no, no, it wasn't yeah. too far off. And I think that the same concentration that you would have to. Uh, put towards listening to them would be the same type of concentration that I'd have to give to uh, a listen to like an East Ender type accent or something like that. It'd just be a little bit off, a little bit uh, unfamiliar enough for my ears that I would have to do the work. But this this was pretty easy to focus in on and, and it was almost, uh, it was almost uh, a non-issue for me at all. 
I'm just going to take. I'm going to take exception to one thing you said. All right. Um, Jessica Stevenson and Simon Pegg were not just in a sitcom; they were in literally the greatest sitcom of the 1990s, which is Spaced. Hmm. Okay. Um, and for those those of our listeners who haven't watched Spaced, such as myself, uh, there were only two <laughs> series made. It was uh, directed by Edgar Wright, who has now become a famous film director. It stars uh, uh, Mark Heap and uh, uh, blah, I'm a, who's the Irish bloke who's in it. Anyway, it's um, it's 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 it is actually the greatest sitcom of the 1990s. What's its premise? Uh, its premise, hilariously, is that um, Simon Pegg and Jessica Stevenson a poor young 20-somethings in London, um, mm-hmm. and they can't rent an apartment unless they pretend that they're married. Uh-huh. And so that is a deliberately facile um, kind of sitcom premise, yes. uh, which uh, is it kind of deliberately obvious, um, and from thence the comedy arises. Um, it is really an amazing sitcom. Um, I said they only made two series of it, like kind of in a sort of Fawlty Towers style. Uh, it's got like anyone that you care to mention is in it. Um, you know, David Walliams is in it. Uh, uh, it's Michael Smiley. That's it. Michael Smiley's in it. If you basically, if you if you watch it, you everyone's in it. It's 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 kind of amazing, um, mm-hmm. and it's incredibly funny and incredibly accurate. Um, a bunch of the League of Gentlemen are in it. Uh, I'm not mm-hmm. sure Gattis is in it actually. Uh, maybe and uh, yeah, well worth uh, well worth checking out. If you get the American DVD version, it actually has a really interesting commentary track with people like Quentin Tarantino, etc., huh. etc. Every everyone is a fan of this sitcom, basically. Huh. So yeah, well, I, something um, to check out. Yeah, and I I, I I I am unable to big it up enough. Basically, Spaced <laughs> is a, is a genuine work of genius, and Simon Pegg is Tim Bisley. And Jessica Stevenson is Daisy. Ooh, what's Daisy's second name? Can't remember. But it's a. It's yeah. It's 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 a it's a it's a literal work of genius. And if you haven't, uh, if you haven't seen it, I recommend you going out and watching it right now. Hmm. Well, I will uh, put that on my uh, hunt down list. I so guess. I think <laughs> I think one of the things that that. Uh, 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 um, uh, what am I trying to say? Um, I mean, I think I think that's part of the joy of listening to this. In fact, is is as actually, oh yeah, it's Simon Pegg and Jessica Stevenson. I think again, remembering why I was disappointed in in listening to this back in two thousand and two is because I wanted them to be uh, Tim and Daisy from Spaced, hmm. and they were you know Natasha and. Don Cheney or whatever they're called <laughs> from out of Invaders of Mars instead and I, I again I was, I was it's, it's such a good piece of comedy and they did leave it hanging I mean they could have made a third series and they didn't um, I was kind of like oh why aren't they why aren't they being why aren't they being Tim and Daisy rather right. than like some people that Mark Gattis has written mm-hmm. but um, I've you know I've grown in my you know audio maturity since then and um I come to appreciate Simon Pegg doing other things. And I've certainly come to appreciate <laughs> Jessica Stevenson, uh, Hines, doing other things. I and mean, she was brilliant in in Doctor Who, obviously. Yep. Um, she was excellent in uh, the most the recent years and years. Um, the Russell T Davis. Um, oh yeah, uh, she was in that, epic. wasn't she? Yeah. yeah, she was the kind of activist sister. 
And she is a really very, very talented actor. And, you know, not just a hilarious comedy actor, which is kind of what she's doing in Invaders from Mars, but right. um, but also kind of hilarious in general. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the comedy, I think, was pretty good for the time uh, that Gatiss was trying to do a pastiche of. So, like, when the doctor was talking to Glory B that that was nice equipment, and then Glory would say, I bet you say that to all the girls. or Goyles. Uh, Goyles, yeah. <laughs> or then like uh the the play on the name Bix Byro, which uh when the doctor's talking to Orson Welles, he asks, Well, was that his pen name? That that type of <laughs> that that <laughs> Sorry. That, so that that type Funny. of that type of uh uh jokey jokiness and playfulness I think is often missing from Gatiss's later Doctor Who's to his yeah, televised Doctor Who's. It but is. But just or like when Divine is commenting on McGann's costume, wondering if it was Victoria, uh, the Victorian uh, Revival Week or something like that. It's, it's it has all the uh, uh, all the tropes, the cliches, the kind of the banter going on during the story. So it has has a lot going on, a lot of moving pieces. The cast sounds really big for the number of actors they have, and I wonder i'm asking do you think it's almost too much that gatus is trying to juggle well you know what i'm turning to my trusty volume of doctor who the new audio adventures the inside story <laughs> um uh, introduction by russell t davis um written by benjamin cook uh gatus is quite he's quite up front um he says that he was when they were developing it they were both, uh, both of the kind of big Finnish producers were wary of there being so many people in the cast. Mm-hmm. Um, but Gates apparently won them over by saying, okay, this is like, this is almost like a parody. This is a radio drama. This is a, this is an audio drama that's parodying a radio drama. So in the kind of golden age of radio drama, they would have these giant casts played by very small numbers of people and everyone right. was doing silly voices. And that's kind of what he wanted, basically. So the fact that there's lots of characters was sort of deliberate. Um, the fact that, you know, Jessica Stevenson was basically not doing her own voice anywhere in it was, again, mm-hmm. kind of deliberate. Right. Well, it's 13 actors in this doing probably three times as many roles in that. I think the only actors who really aren't doubled up are... Uh, uh, Paul McGann as the Doctor and Charlie Pollard yeah, the doctor as and Charlie, India Fisher. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a there's a few uh, cameos. Katie Manning has a ca- cameo in there. Mark Gatiss has a cameo. Uh, but for the most part, most of the cast are playing more than one role. Right, exactly, exactly. So the clever thing, the hook, the I think the brilliant thing that Gatiss does is he interweaves the Orson Welles 1938 War of the Worlds radio uh, theater broadcast uh, as uh, as kind of the hook or the skeleton for this whole story, and it works, I think, pretty well. I do wonder if we needed to have all the rival political factions trying to go after a nuclear weapon that Professor Stephenson was trying to make, and yeah, uh, I I wonder if it would just have been enough to have the whole protection racket of. Uh, uh, was it Norlam and Streeth trying to do with their bat bat people? Well, then I'm going to quote Gettys here. For a while, I became utterly obsessed with the script, determined to make this a grand pastiche of 1930s Americana, Gershwin-hued, brassy crazy time, all mobsters and Nazis and proto-reds. 
It was like the ideal Saturday afternoon movie I made in my head when I was a kid. So I think, you know, he deliberately wanted to kind of pack it out right. um, as much as possible. Again, as kind of, you know, pastiche of things. One little bit of trivia again here is that is that the Katie Manning role was originally recorded by India Fisher. Hmm. Um, but they decided that she really couldn't do the voice and sounded exactly <laughs> like India Fisher doing a voice. Right. So luckily, Katie Manning happened to be in the studio uh, recording some Iris Wildtime malarkey. Um, so they got her to record over it. Yeah, well, perfect yeah. then, I guess. There you go, yeah. Um, just a quick word about Paul Putner. I'm a huge fan of Paul Putner. Um, I'm his close friend on Twitter. He is a very, <laughs> very amusing fellow. And he's one of those people that if you spend any time with British TV, particularly sketch comedy... In the '90s or 2000s, basically Paul mm-hmm. Partner will be in it. Mm-hmm. Um, he's 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 one of those people like, oh, it's that guy, and <laughs> it's Paul Partner basically. Um, similarly with um uh, the actor Kevin Eldon, um, who again is like, it's it's that guy. So a uh, uh, Partner and Eldon are a really just kind of complete comedy stalwarts for British comedy of '90s and 2000s, complete and utter heroes um partner always plays well no he's 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 actually very flexible um but does specialize in kind of you know uh uh what's the word um uh overexcitable idiots hmm. of which you know the alien he plays here is exactly one of those for anyone who's near youtube um i do recommend checking out um this morning with richard not judy which was a absolute groundbreaking um kind of sketch comedy show fronted by uh, Stuart Lee and um, uh, Richard Herring, Hmm. hence this morning with Richard, not Judy, which went out on Sunday mornings um, during the late 90s. Uh, And Paul Putner played the Curious Orange, which was obviously a pun on the fall song, because Stuart Lee is a big fan of the fall, um, which was this kind of character who was basically a kind of a deranged orange Mm-hmm. Um, who very, very quickly morphed into a Davros. Um, and Putner's, <laughs> Putner's Davros voice is absolutely spot on. He's a brilliant Davros. And basically for half of that sketch show, the kind of latter episodes of the sketch show, he basically was Davros only with a big or- with a big kind of rotten orange head. So again, well worth checking out because uh, obviously there's a strong Who element in there. Um, all these people are big fans of Doctor Who, which is why, again, when you move slightly further down the audio canon, you'll find Richard Herring and um, Stuart Lee both guest starring in... Uh, which one is it? Hang on. Uh, Real Time. Hmm. So the BBC uh, kind of big finish produced, but BBC uh, uh, released um, Colin Baker adventure involving Cybermen. Ah. But both, both, both Lee and Herring are in that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's some there's some British comedy trivia for you, British comedy trivia fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul Putner in um, in uh, this morning with Richard, not Judy. Yeah. So did you? I guess you had heard this before, but did you? Uh, for your original listening, were you surprised by actual aliens in the story? Um, no, I think I was expecting. I mean, I knew something would have to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, they couldn't just be like you know Nazis and and communists and Reds running around going, you dirty rat, to each other. Uh, And he's actually really, it's really kind of refreshing when the aliens finally do turn up. You've kind of been waiting for the aliens to kind of finally Mm -hmm. reveal themselves. And I couldn't couldn't really believe that it was just going to be a monster in a tank. 
right. um, the whole time. Because right, right, even right. though you know, you know how Gattis loves his loves his third Doctor, um, that seemed a little bit too <laughs> little bit too nose. Or, yeah. or to, a little bit too spearhead from space. So. Mm-hmm. Well, Streeth and Norium, I, like I mentioned, were kind of Slovene meets the Dominators, but their their whole protection racket really reminded me of uh, kind of the 1950s type sci-fi serial. One that came to mind was The Parade, which was uh, in X-1. Oh, I've never even heard of that. What's that? Uh, this was, I can't remember which uh, broadcaster carried it, but this was in like the fit, mid to late 50s, and there were sci-fi stories written by uh, pretty big writers at the time. You know, like I believe Bradbury had some, and Heinlein perhaps had one. But this, oh, okay. But the parade was written by an uh, author called Ernest Kinoy, and it's about where the Martians hire a Madison Avenue ad firm to put on a big, per, big product rollout, a big parade down, uh, you know, whatever street in New York to build up the hype for the Martians coming. And <laughs> really funny. And it, uh, it it basically sells the Martian invading, and it isn't until it's too late that people realize that they actually have been invaded. These aren't guys in costume. These are actual Martians. And it kind of reminded me of that with the whole protection extortion racket that uh, Norium and Streeth were trying to run. But then it seemed... A lot of these things, it seemed like Gatiss was taking the sci-fi elements of 1950s and then merging them with the pulp radio uh, gangster movies of the 1930s. So it's Gatiss's big thing is he always does pastiches, or he he does right. a, a pastiche of things. But th- this seems like he was trying to combine things, and that's why I guess I was trying to say, is he trying to combine too much? Because he has that really clever resolution where the doctor redoes the whole uh, War of the Worlds on a private channel for Streeth and Norium, but then they do the hot mic bit, which may be a gag from 1930s pulp radio, only to have the final ending being the explosion of an atomic bomb. So I just wonder if he was trying to have too much, and like you said, he was trying to pack everything into that Saturday morning matinee serial, and it was just maybe too many ideas in it to be really effective yeah i i you know i what i'm saying i mean i think i think it is like the league of gentlemen it is packing in it's a rapid fire like here's all this stuff um as soon as you realize that that's what's going on and he's just kind of piling it on Right. That kind of makes it okay. I mean, I think if you took it as a as a straight piece of drama or mm-hmm. even a straight piece of comedy drama, I think you would be like, well, surely you can cut out some characters, um, you know, and do you or have to have... plot points, yeah. Yeah, plot, do you have to have, you know, the Simon Pegg character have no nose and right. therefore be called Don <laughs> Chaney instead of Lon Chaney, like Lon Chaney out of the Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, like, right, right. That's, the, that's, that's punning self-referential isn't that just going a bit too far but mm-hmm. then you realize the whole thing is supposed to be going a bit too far so right. i i kind of forgive him for that really to be honest okay that's fair enough i i guess the other argument i'd make in that direction it, it seems with the glory b character the the natasha the, right. the r- russian falling off the brooklyn bridge was kind of gate saying i don't know what to do with this character anymore it was kind of a pointless thing. It just it seemed like to me that he didn't want to keep writing for her. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think by the end, Gators does realize he's got way too many characters 
and you know and everyone is larking about in the studio and he's gonna you know he needs to bump he needs to he needs to get rid of them pretty quickly um mm-hmm. in order to kind of and as soon as the aliens turn up you get mm-hmm. the idea that oh now i've got some funny aliens right um uh, actually i think that those are a lot more amusing than the you know than all the funny russians and, and, and gangsters and nazis yeah. and things um, so I'm now going to concentrate on, on writing funny aliens. Right. So, but I think again, I mean, I, you forgive him for it because it is funny, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it is kind of a silly sketch show comedy right. with everyone, every literally everybody doing a silly voice. Mm-hmm. Um, some people doing more than one silly voice, <laughs> uh, and everyone having a great time. You know, it's kind of like the Goon Show or something, basically, yeah. um, which is now like a kind of you know again referring back to. Back to you know you know multi 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 uh, actors doing different voices exactly yes mm-hmm. exactly mm-hmm. exactly yeah well I think he handles it really well with Cosmo Devine killing off his underlings it it cements Cosmo's uh, very uh, egotistical uh, psychopathic type personality that he kills off his associates when they're no longer. Uh, useful to him it just was with the uh russian glory b character it seemed like you don't know what to do with her anymore so why not just have her fall off the bridge and it wasn't even very dramatic type right she just kind of she just kind of wasn't there slips right yeah i mean i'll just to give you an idea of the kind of the ambition of the thing i mean they could have been a lot more i'm just leafing through my um, my well-thumbed copy of Doctor Who, The New Audio Adventures, <laughs> The Inside Story by Benjamin Cock, forward by Russell Davis. Um, uh, Charles Dance and Steve Coogan had apparently agreed to appear in this. Steve Coogan, obviously, you know, Alan Partridge and Charles Dance, the famous actor, though I guess he was less famous then. Um, he'd also got agreement from Freddie Jones, Mark, Mark, um, Mark Williams, Mark Williams, like off of... Um, uh, like off of Doctor Who, um, and Hugh Laurie were apparently going, were going to be in it as well. Wow. So there could have been even more people doing silly voices and larking about than we got anyway. Yeah, well, they could have made it a six-parter, I guess, but that wasn't guess, really in the bailiwick of early Big Finish main range. No, that's true. And and here again, here's a, here's a nice bit of trivia. And I'll just read it out verbatim, otherwise I'm getting it run. So one of so the so the the character Houseman. Um, who was apparently the real producer of? Um, yeah, John Houseman. John Houseman of mm-hmm. um, of uh, of uh, the War of the Worlds. Yep. Mm-hmm. Apparently, he says uh, he gives one line. George, what are you doing with those keys? Which is a very very deep in joke, um, which is aimed at George Kuluris, who appeared both appeared in War of the Worlds by Orson Welles and also in Citizen Kane, and also was Arbitan in the Keys of Marinus. <laughs> Wow. So that's why he says, George, George, what are you doing with those keys? Because I gotcha. The keys of Marinus. Mm-hmm. Um, so there you go. There's some there's some pretty deep cuts mm-hmm. in the in the script that only right. only really, really attentive Doctor Who and Awesome Wells War of the Worlds fans <laughs> would ever manage to get. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on a more superficial level with his writing. <laughs> I thought it was pretty hilarious where they uh, were one of the underlings of Devine, or I think maybe it was uh, Cheney, who called him Scum Devine, you Scum Devine, and then the the <laughs> yeah, two aliens just latch onto that. And, <laughs> it's, uh, such, it's such a hoary old joke of like the over-literal alien. I right. mean, you know, that's, that's, 
you know, that's from, you know, Red Dwarf, Hitchhiker's... <laughs> I mean, the aliens are always like that. Right. And it's just so hilarious that um, he just does that joke again and then the aliens just, like... And they really don't... They don't stop calling him <laughs> Scum Devine. Right. Which is just, just, oh, it, God, it makes me laugh even thinking about it. And the other one that really made me, like, roar with laughter was when one of the aliens... Um, Talks about um, um, we'll take Manhattan and <laughs> Staten, Staten Island, Island too. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, funny. Yeah, yeah, everyone was having fun with this, and I think I that's think so, yeah. really, uh, really makes it very listenable. If 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 you can just uh, go along with it, if you don't yeah. get too hung up on it, and even just the doctor describing where Mars was to the aliens, you know, I, I have this one written down. Uh, the uh, doctor goes, Martians from the planet Mars, otherwise known as Soul 4, that red one you probably passed on the way in. Just the, <laughs> w- just the delivery. Or then a little bit later when Ellis is berating Devine for selling out and uh, Ellis goes, you know, I won't do the accent, but, you know, tell me, how does it feel to betray your entire planet? And Cosmo's going, oh, a lot like uh, betraying your country, but just that teensy bit more satisfying. <laughs> Oh so yeah. So there's a good. lot of good things uh through through throughout this with the writing. Uh but I think uh one of the negatives for me is you have to understand where Big Finish is going with this because if you are paying attention to it there's a there's about a half dozen maybe uh, historical inaccuracies. Oh, there are some major historical re- inaccuracies. Yeah. But mm. they are deliberate if you know where Big Finish is going with the Charlie Pollard arc, with her uh, kind of unraveling, contaminating time. Yeah, though, I mean, with... Well, I mean, the glaring one is the endless reference to the CIA. Yes, yes. Which, of course, as as any fool know, the CIA did not exist in In the 1930s. In fact, was there there an American... I guess it would have been the FBI, wouldn't it? It would have been the FBI, which would be responsible for domestic security and counter-espionage. Probably the closest thing that you would have in the United States for a CIA-type thing, because the the State Department disbanded their spy agency sometime in the 20s because, or their signal intelligence, because the uh, gentlemen don't read other gentleman's mail that was the that was the type of thing but so it probably would have been either the war department maybe the closest thing would be u.s army signal intelligence yeah which which again no one would really have understood if you'd put that in i think i also vaguely suspect that if if gators had used the fbi then he would have had to have had an outrageously camp j edgar hoover come in which would have again had the Rival whole thing spin off in a whole nother direction. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it seems to me actually in some ways this is a little bit having your cake and eating it. You know, I mean, obviously uh, this is part of the Charlie Pollard kind of breaking down the structure of reality plot. Yes. But it is also very, very useful just to call America's Secret Service the CIA because everyone's right. heard of that and everyone knows what that is. You know, 
It is, but what you would have had to have done to make this really not seem like a mistake in the writing and send me to Wikipedia or the internet trying to figure out why this is why this mistake is there is you would have to have the doctor say that isn't right. Why is the CIA involved? They this is you know it's ten years before their time or something like that. You would yeah. have to add those things in, and I mean the more subtle things like the 1929 Lamborghini, which you know Lamborghinis yeah, weren't that, in that the 19. 60s but yeah really jumped out as well at me it's like oh mm -hmm. hang on i didn't know yeah mm, yeah exactly. so i mean just like things like that or devine saying that he was or divine saying that he was wanted in 49 states when there's only 48 states in the 30s Th those type of things you really needed the doctor to at least pone in on one of them saying this isn't right something you know or just thinking to himself i'm wondering if charlie's causing this or something because at this early stage, I mean, because this is the second season of McGann, it seems like a mistake. It doesn't seem, it does like, seem it's like it's setting mistake. seeds yep. for further story development. It just seems like sloppy writing, which we've seen, unfortunately, in other uh, McGann stories of yeah. uh, Big Finish. I agree. Though, I mean, I suppose in some ways the fact that it's like a silly comedy might also kind of peg you simon peg you to to realize that maybe this isn't this is happening in a kind of an unreal world of some kind it's the unit of 1980 i guess yeah though again you know this is obviously this isn't a land of fiction though i can mm -hmm. imagine how that might have worked at some point so yeah it said it, it is a little bit of a cop-out i mean mm -hmm. there's kind of shorthands used which are then well it's all part of the charlie thingy pollard yeah pop thing but um, you'd have so. to you have to I think explain that a little more and make yeah, the do. doctor aware of that going on or just or just when he's saying or when Wells didn't recognize Shakespeare you know the doctor you know that there should have been more around that yeah the doctor should have been really surprised because, right you know or alarmed it, or alarmed I mean you know even if Orson Wells wasn't as famous as uh, he had become, you know, even a young Orson Welles would you know, oh, recognize yeah. Shakespeare. Any, yeah. any, anyone who went Anybody. through American high school would have known Shakespeare in some form in the 1930s, definitely. Yeah, 1920s, 1930s, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so, I mean, the other part about it, as much as Gatiss loves writing for all these characters that he created, and even the Doctor... I don't think he really liked writing for Charlie. Charlie is sidelined from the get-go on this story. And uh, if I was India Fisher, I would have complained, I think, because it's a really weak story from Charlie. And uh, Jessica Hines gets all the good female lines. She gets all the good yeah. lines. But, I mean, I think, and actually, you know, if they, they'd had more time and, you know, to kind of work on it, I mean, I think obviously... As I said, you know, the doctor very quickly in a kind of mischievous way, you know, takes over the identity of the detective Halliday yeah. and becomes, you know, the Doc Halliday. Um, and, you know, obviously in kind of Raymond Chandler stories and gangster movies of the of the 20s of the of the 1930s, um, you know, the kind of private dick hero right. doesn't have a female sidekick mm -hmm. ever. Yeah. Um, uh, what they have is a, you know, a seductive client who right. has a stupid name like glory b so you know if you're if you're kind of working with the with those kind of tropes in inverted commas right um then there's no role for a lady sidekick be she you know edwardian adventuress or whatever mm -hmm. whatever she is i think what they should have what he possibly should have done is kind of made more of a feature of that that within this kind of story and it's a kind of you know it's almost like a 
to comedy. You know, the, every every sci-fi show does seems to do a 1930s American gangster movie parody. I mean, I was thinking <laughs> of the, the Star holodeck. Trek did it, yeah. The holodeck's always doing that, you know. And I think they it might have been smart to try and make a feature of the fact that within this kind of parody story, <laughs> this character is not actually needed. <laughs> and I think with slightly more time to work on it, they probably could have come up mm. with more a more amusing and relevant way to sideline Charlie without just literally sidelining Charlie. Yeah, I don't get the feeling that this script was underworked. I think it might have been overworked in some ways. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I guess what I'm saying is that if he hadn't got distracted by being funny and doing a doing this parody and thought mm. a little more about it, then I think there might have been a more amusing way to come up with getting rid of India Fisher. Personally, I think what uh... leave leave her in the TARDIS like K nine. <laughs> Actually, she could have hung out the TARDIS with um uh, with Ramsey. Oh God. I think they got rid of Ramsey at the. Have they? Have they got rid of Ramsey by now? Uh, they should have brought Ramsey back. And, yeah, we um, only we only skipped the the, uh, the uh, terrible one, which was uh, mini the one hell. where they all go to hell or something. Yeah, I don't know what it's called now. <laughs> the one we skipped. Uh, yeah, that was awful. But I guess what uh, maybe, I would maybe, maybe maybe we should do that one and actually discover whether it's is really that awful. Oh, I one. I did listen to it. It is uh... aside. It is awful. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. So I guess back to my point where I think there's too many yeah. plot elements going in. If you were to work in Charlie being a gangster mall, for example, uh, some someone, the Phantom or one of uh, Ellis or somebody takes a fancy to her and she gets caught up in that plot element, you leave out the whole atomic weapon thing and the gangsters are trying to set up a protection racket with the Nazis or something along those lines. or uh, Just with the aliens. Or with the aliens or well. You have layers of protection racket. You have the gangsters trying to do a protection racket. The uh, Devine do a protection racket or something with the Nazis. And then you have the alien level on top of that. And then you ultimately you solve it with redoing the War of the Worlds and scaring the bejeebus out of the uh, Norium and Streeth so they leave yeah. rather than the bomb. I think might work a little... It would be more Terrence Dixian, right. I think, rather than... Uh, like you said, League of Gentlemen, where it is sketch comedy, where you keep adding balls to the juggling and seeing where things are going to drop. So hang on. So I, I just realized, so the alias for um, Don Chaney is the Phantom, right? Right. And Lon Chaney's most famous role is the Phantom of the Opera. But also there's that pulp radio character and comic book character from the 30s and 40s called the Phantom. Yeah. The Phantom knows um <laughs> who has a big nose and the catchphrase for the phantom is is the phantom nose oh so that's even yeah. more that's <laughs> even more like stupid self self-referentialness mm -hmm. you get the feeling that gatus just had this just boiling over and he needed he absolutely needed to get this out and on right. paper and uh yeah, perform yeah, yeah. to kind of cleanse the system <laughs> exactly yeah of all this all this nonsense yeah mm -hmm. exactly like you said this was the thing that he wanted as a as a teen or whatever <laughs> yeah what was that which which one did he what because um phantasmagoria was the one so Ph made... phantasmagoria was the first one but what was which which what what what, what did he write after this i think wasn't this his last one yeah i think it might have been his last one i think this was his last one that he wrote because 
the new series came back in 2005, so he might have caught wind on that and started working on The Unquiet Dead. Yeah, yeah. There was also, there was the League of Gentlemen live show as well, which was a big deal around this time. Mm-hmm. Um, so he may have been just on the road with the League of Gentlemen at that point too, so. Yeah, yeah. so I think yeah. this was his last one that he penned for big finish and then he came and then he came back as as of course as um as the as the alter the alternative master as well hmm. um what was his name as the alternative master don't know oh sam kisgart that's it so he played an alternative master he's so he's the master in in the kind of unbound series but he's credited as being sam kisgart okay i.e mark gatiss only only with an an with an anagram like mm-hmm. they used to do for Anthony Ainley because yeah. no one would be able to work it out anyway. There you and go. well, because that's just the type of thing that Gatiss likes. Oh yes, too. <laughs> exactly, exactly. He's he's silly like that. I thought the bumpers, the music was toned down from earlier uh, big finishes. You could really hear the dialogue, which I think helped. Uh, it was the bumpers kind of switched between kind of a dragnet-esque bump 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 yeah and then a, a riff a theremin riff of the doctor who theme when it was dealing with the aliens or the world of right. worlds so i thought that was really nice sound music design for this one yeah it is exactly i thought the, i thought the music was great um i think they did you know it said they they yeah I, what you just said is correct <laughs> um it was a it was a great combination of kind of spooky who theme stuff and um just straight down the middle what i can only assume is actual sounding 1930s 1940s um uh, uh american radio music mm-hmm. yeah yeah so yeah i enjoyed it i had a great fun i was laughing like a drain listening to this <laughs> yeah it was a satisfying uh listen and it fit i think the Again, this shows what Gatiss can do when he hooks upon a clever idea. Uh, like, what if I frame an alien invasion, but not quite with the actual War of the Worlds? And then right. that's a really good hook. It's better than the hook of uh, Mr. Sandman that he had with Sleep No More. But those are the type of things that I think that he really likes to grab a hold of as some kind of cultural reference and then tell a story around it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, he just loves pastiche and he loves kind of self-reference and all that kind of yeah. stuff. And it's, yeah. yeah. Well, that's the yeah. League of Gentlemen. It's, an, it's a League of Gentlemen thing. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, uh, it's, if you watch League of Gentlemen, which again, I hope listen to this podcast, have watched League of Gentlemen, there are doctors, especially with the uh, uh, with the characters that Gattis plays, there's, there's Doctor Who references throughout League of Gentlemen, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think the most celebrated one is the vet, um, Mr. Chinnery, that um, Gatiss plays on um, League of Gentlemen, um, which is basically he's just being he's being um, uh, 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 he's being Tristan Farnan um, from All Creatures Great and Small, which, of course, is played by Peter Davison. Um, and it's he's just a you know, pathetic blonde haired vet who keeps killing all the animals that he tries to cure. <laughs> um but it's he basically he's just being Peter Davison basically, mm. yeah, which is which is pretty hilarious, mm-hmm. pretty hilarious. He dressed up as uh, Reese Morg or Moog, whatever his name is for uh, Halloween or fancy oh, dress. I didn't see that. Yeah, oh, okay, and I his uh, husband dressed up as Captain EU or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Funny. 
Are there pictures of that around? Was that yeah, on Twitter there's or somewhere on Twitter, I think, somewhere. I'll have to look for those. If you go to Mark Gatiss's Twitter feed, yeah, that is his uh, picture right now. Oh, so go, I mean, go take I, a go take a look. Do I follow about. Mark Gatiss? I don't know. I probably should if I don't. <laughs> yeah, if you scroll down, he's uh, Jason Reese Morg. Uh, <laughs> Jacob Reese Morg, and then uh, uh, Ian Hallard plays uh, EU man. <laughs> yes, sorry, I've got it. Oh, that's hilarious. I'm um, sorry, this is working very, very well on radio. Um, <laughs> so describe, me, describe me, EU man here. EU man is a, is a man painted bright, bright blue um, with the EU stars on his front. Um, <laughs> and Gaddis is a, actually a kind of convincing Jacob Rees-Mogg, to he be honest. He is, and yeah. he kind of has the... Uh, Stupid uh, looking face. Third Reich haircut going on there too. Yeah. Oh God, Reese Mogg is such an awful individual. <laughs> but uh Ian Hallard is really good as EU man. <laughs> EU man. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> I'm gonna have to retweet that. There you go. <laughs> oh funny. Yeah. So, well, you have to laugh, otherwise you cry basically at this mm-hmm. point in my country's history. So it's perfect. It's a good one to listen to if you need to laugh. It is a light-hearted romp. Um, I'm pleased to say that my uh, much uh, initially unloved copy of Invaders from Mars is signed by Mark Gatiss. So, oh. lucky old Score, me. yeah. Yeah. That's when I was getting my uh, big finishes directly from uh, uh, The Who. Was it 10th Planet? Or was it The Who Store? One of those shops in East London. And um, each copy you got was was signed by a star of the um, a star of the of the DVD, uh, not a DVD by a star of the of the CD. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. Not anymore. I don't think I would be. All these people are a lot more famous now than they used to be. So <laughs> certainly more go. famous than they were in two thousand one, two thousand two time frame. Two thousand one, two thousand two. Yes, but we're all we're all more famous than we were back then. <laughs> Indeed. Well, very good. Very, very enjoyable. Heartily recommend it. Ten stars out of ten. <laughs> uh, let's see. EU stars of EU man. for Exactly. Ten EU stars <laughs> of EU man. EU man. EU. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for listening to episode 131 of the Metabulous 2 podcast. I have been talking with Ben. And I've been talking with David. You dirty rat. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, be wary of any aliens, Ooh, I guess. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> All right, bye. All right, bye. <laughs>